Goes On Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. You're going to hear from Ed Salvato now. He's the editor-in-chief of Man About World Gay Travel magazine. Although he grew up in Boston, I interviewed him in a coffee shop in New York City, just in case you're wondering what the background noise was. Well, I think, like a lot of people, I probably questioned it when I was quite young. You know, I remember at age five and six thinking, oh, I'm a little different from other people. I like dolls. I like things that my other boys don't seem to like. So I kind of started questioning things uh, early, early on. Did you worry about it at that age, or did you just sort of go with it, with the doll playing? I did actually worry about it. I thought about it. And I think you you have to think about, at age five or six, someone having to consider such a ponderous, weighty, existential question. What does it do to your neurons, right? I mean, I think it kind of helps, and it probably helps and hurts, you know, I think it hurts gay people in some ways that can make them neurotic, but I think it helps gay people in the sense that you're firing synapses that you probably normally wouldn't use for 10, 20 more years, you know, really, so gay people are having to think, okay, do, do I hide this? Imagine at age five or six thinking, I think I have to hide this from the people I know, the only people I know in my life, my parents, like, so you start thinking about gays and their ability to blend in, act you know, be creative around how they present themselves. I, I just think, I mean, it's a long answer to your question, but yeah, I did think about it quite a bit when I was younger. And I kind of knew that it was, quote, wrong, or it wouldn't be accepted. So did you modify your behavior then? Did you try and not play with dolls? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there was a moment I know, I remember when I, I felt free and I was just doing whatever I wanted. And um, whether it was playing with dolls or hanging out with, you know, girls or whatever. And just, but then I re- realized that it, it, people looked askance at that. So I had to modify my behavior. So yeah, very early on, I joined every sport imaginable that my parents wanted me to join. Basketball, baseball, football. And I happened to be good at a lot of them, unfortunately. So I was sort why, of stu- why unfortunately? Well, unfortunately, because I was kind of stuck in there. Every time I wanted to quit, you know, the coach would call or, you know, that kind of thing. So it was kind of uh, annoying in, in that sense. But yeah, I kind of tried to blend in as much as I could. The other problem or maybe curse and blessing that I had was I was always ahead of all my other peers in school in my grades. So my, I have five brothers and sisters, all of whom have multiple degrees, written books, all this kind of stuff. It's a very smart group of people, but of the, even in that group, I excelled beyond a lot of people. So people... They weren't necessarily criticizing me for being effeminate or gay, but it was a little bit of like, oh, you know, you got an A, you got a hundred, you're just a smart teacher's pet. Everyone likes, you know. So I I think I suffered more because of the perceived intellectual superiority. So you were already being bullied, basically. Yeah, never bullied. I was actually never bullied, knock on wood. I had muscle in my family and like the, I three brought three straight brothers and two sisters and everyone there was never any bullying of any one of us really we all went to a tiny little small catholic school so i had the same 25 fellow students more or less for 8 years so in that environment you people aren't allowed to bully or be bullied it just doesn't happen the nuns were very strict so luckily i avoided all that okay but this is in boston right yeah. i mean i imagine that's quite a fairly progressive city yeah yes and no i mean at the time especially you know i'm 50 now so that was quite a while ago and um boston has had rep- deserved reputation for being super racist especially the irish against every other every everyone else and there was a cover of time magazine where it was like there was like this terrible busing incident where blacks were being bussed into white neighborhoods and there was a huge revolt by white people against black people. It's pretty ugly. So Boston has a really strong history of uh, ugly racism and um, and homophobia. Uh, but alongside that, there's the intellectual aspect, the educational systems, the progressive, 
you know, w women who were early supporters of suffrage or, you know, the, the Boston, you know, uh, the revolution took place in part in Boston. So there's al always those strains. And when you think about gay marriage, the first place gay marriage was, was sort of permitted, legally permitted, was Massachusetts, right? And you think, oh, that's so progressive. Not really. It's actually kind of conservative. Marriage is a conservative institution. So yeah. in a weird way, Massachusetts is progressive and conservative at the same time. It's hard to describe. So gay people, gay people would, you know, walk around with like, oh yes, my partner and I, we live in the South End and we have a place in Provincetown and we have a car and we have a dog and this is the perfect life. So it was almost as oppressive as heterosexuality. But in reality, a lot of times those perfect relationships weren't so perfect. So there's this attitude that you have to appear to others how you want to be perceived. That doesn't happen in New York and San Francisco and other places. So Boston is unique in that sense. Okay. So what was your personal coming out like then? So there must have been a time when you thought, I can't hide this any longer. I'm going to tell people. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was, we were saying earlier, I've had having five brothers and sisters and two parents and living abroad and doing all this stuff. I've had a long series of coming out. Coming out and I think you just keep coming out through your whole life, you know. And you're sitting on an airplane and the, past, the guy next to you is like, what do you do? It's like... I'm the editor-in-chief of a gay travel magazine. You've just come out. It's like, I just roll my eyes and I, I have the word gay on my business card. It's like, oh my God, can I not escape this? But my first time was in college. I went to Harvard College and it was a very supportive environment, even though in the 80s it wasn't that supportive outside. I was in a bubble and I didn't really, I don't think I realized that. And I, I came out to my friends and it, a lot of people were coming out at that point in the 80s. And so it was very quickly accepted. And I came out to my sister and she's like, oh, you're the second person who came out to me this week. Her, her best friend came out to her that day, that same week. And so he and I ended up dating and she was so pissed off. But so I got like a lot of weird, like it was like completely fine. But then after I left college, I moved to France and it wasn't that accepted there. My partner, his grandmother really hated me because she thought I corrupted her son because she was old fashioned. And uh, my parents, I didn't come out until so much later. My brothers and sisters, I waited until they were a certain age and maturity level. And I came out one after the next five, you know, it took 10 years to come out to my five They siblings. didn't like communicate with each other then? Uh, I'm sure they did. You know, I'm sure they all did. But my direct coming out to them, I thought that was important to do for each one of them. So I try to do that. And then, you know, my first job, the, one of the bosses, was gay so that was kind of easy for me to come out so but the first one was in college when I kind of just I remember being in the shower and just thinking I you know I've tried to date girls it just is not working I had a girlfriend at the time and at, at Yale well she was at Yale and um, she turned out to be a lesbian Power couple. <laughs> she, she turned out to be a lesbian well, I called her the gay man generator because she <laughs> she three guys she dated all turned gay I was like boy honey you're cranking them out <laughs> Ellen, it was very funny. But it was convenient for me to have a girlfriend in a different city, right? I mean, obviously. So I just thought, I, you know, it was very intellectual the way I did it. It was like, oh, I'm gay. And then it was like a, a switch was flicked. Uh, you know, I flicked a switch. And that's it. I'm gay. And, and that's kind of how I, I dealt. I dealt with things. You know, that's how it happened. So, so what was this revelatory moment in the shower? You <laughs> it's like, what were you doing in the shower, Ed? <laughs> I just was contemplating my life and why I was like, you know, happy and doing really well at Harvard. Had a lot of great friends. But fundamentally unhappy. Well, why? Well, there was a disconnect between the person I was and then the person that I was to everyone else and the person I was inside. And no one knew that person inside, I thought. Um, and I thought, well, I want to bridge those differences. And I want my friends who are so amazing, so supportive to also know this part about me. And it was made maybe a little bit easier because I had two friends who were just like super forward out ballsy gay guys, you know, just unapologetically gay. And I, I like that unapologetic aspect of it. I always thought you kind of had to apologize for being gay, but I, they kind of taught me, no, you don't. And this one, uh, William from Iowa, from but a small town in Iowa, like population 5,000, a rural community, but his parents are super 
progressive. So he came out when he was 12 to them in Iowa, and they supported him. And when he was my friend in college, I thought, if he can do it, I can do it in Boston, at Harvard, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for God's sake. Uh, so he was like one of my role models. And in the 80s, to be gay and young in Boston was a blast. The club scene was super fun. There were mixed men and women, queer, whatever. It was a really fun time to be gay. So I got it, kind of got a lot of the fun. And then, of course, AIDS kind of blew up everything. But, um, but it was a good moment for a while there. So I felt supported, and I felt like I could come out to a very positive reception and indeed that was true and then what about when you did actually confront your parents uh, that was a different matter so I, I was living in France in Paris with my then partner for five years Jérôme a French guy and um, people came to visit me my sister parents my sister came back and said to uh, my parents oh Ed's living with this guy I think he's gay so they kind of outed me so I wrote, a, wrote them a letter it was like before email so I wrote them a letter then when I came back to visit at Christmas they confronted me and uh, my father was funny super supportive in a way he's Italian old school but he goes like my boss is gay I you know he goes I think gay people shouldn't be bullied I don't you know they shouldn't be discriminated against I think it's terrible when I hear about uh, physical assaults against gay people I just don't want it in the family so it was a little bit of like the old-fashioned Italian thing and my mother was just like you know, the first word in AIDS uh, is acquired. You can get you can get AIDS from anyone. So she was more concerned for my health. And so I said, you know, I was overly intellectual with them, and I didn't allow them really time to kind of catch up. But I basically had my responses prepared for both of them. But that was how it came out. Thirty years later, whatever it is, they are the most unbelievably supportive you can possibly imagine. What was it like sitting down writing that letter? Though? It was hard. I mean, I knew that they loved Jerome, and so I knew that they, their thing about being anti-gay was very kind of general, but the specific aspect of it, they really liked Jerome. And so when my father said, you know, and we really liked Jerome, and, and he goes, we, we don't just don't want gay people in the house, he said, he said, I said, I said, well, you don't want, and then I outed every single one of my friends that they had invited to the house. I said, you don't want Sabri, you don't want Richard, you don't want Chris, you don't want, and I just made this whole long list. I said, you don't want any of them back in the house? And, and I think they knew that it was ridiculous to say that. They didn't want them in the house because they really liked these people. But yeah, the letter was hard to write, but it's actually easier to write a letter in some ways than to talk to someone in person. You know, you know it's going to go, and then you kind of wait for the bombshell to happen. You wait for the, you know, the response. So it was interesting. It wasn't an email. It wasn't like quick. It was a couple of weeks had passed. So Really considered. Do you think they've still got it? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. I should ask them. God bless them. They're in their late 80s, still kicking. They're doing great. So, yeah. Probably got it framed somewhere. Yeah, I know. Like, you know, I think they probably ripped it up and burned it. But they, they uh, you know, they're interesting. If a gay bashing occurred in New York, my dad called me making sure. I was okay, of course, but also just to say, you know, express his revulsion towards that and his, uh, just the horror that they felt about that. You know, they're really incredibly supportive. It's amazing. That's People can evolve, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of the story I've heard a lot through doing yeah. this podcast, which is great. Yeah, you're stuck with your family and vice versa. In a sense. I mean, it's obviously, uh, I, I had a great story compared to kids who got kicked out and beat up or committed suicide and who aren't here to tell their stories. And that, that's, you know, why we're telling our stories now, right? So kids don't continue to do that. And that probably will always happen. But, you know, you're stuck with your family in a way. So years will go by, and at a certain point, hopefully, something will crack, and they'll just be like, oh, for God's sake, let's just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Let's just keep, let's get the dialogue going here. But as you said, it is difficult for a lot of people. So if there's anyone listening, would you have any advice or words of wisdom from you as an out and proud gay 50-year-old man? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't presume to, everyone has their own path to walk, right? But I, I think, like, when I was really young, I, you know, maybe I wish I had talked to more people about it, just to confide in someone. I mean, I went from age 5 to 18 without saying ever, I think I'm gay, to anyone. That's like 
13 years, 14 years, whatever it was. That's a long time for a young person to keep something inside them. That'll affect you for the rest of your life. So if you can, if you can find anybody supportive, I mean, everyone, like, as far as I can tell in my family, there are no other gay people. It's bizarre. I have got dozens and dozens of cousins and, you know, as far as I can see, there's no gay people in my family. But somewhere deep down, there's either a neighbor or a friend or some family member that's probably queer, <laughs> right, that you can talk to. Find that ally. Cheers to Ed for sharing a coffee and his story with us. And you can find out more about Ed and his travel magazine at manaboutworld.com. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you want to find out more about this podcast, perhaps ask us a question or even offer yourself up for an interview. Well, you can follow us at Come Out Stories on Twitter or Coming Out Stories Pod on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Emma Goldswell. And Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Next time round, you'll hear from writer, broadcaster and political commentator Ian Dale. Ian didn't come out till a bit later in life, but once he did, he told me there was no going back. I did have feelings for them. Mm. And I knew what kind of girl I liked and what kind of girl I didn't like. So from that point of view, you could say, I suppose, yes, I was bisexual, sort of. Mm. But... Once I discovered cock, I'm afraid there was no going back. (laughs) 